0: Good morning and welcome to The Morning Briefing for Monday, June 25th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we are going to speak to IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America's Steph Mullen. She is their research director and spends a lot of time looking at statistics and numbers and reports that have to deal with military and veterans' issues well, we're going to talk to her about some pretty darn important ones, including a new suicide data report that shows some pretty interesting things, including that the 20-a-day number that we've heard for so many years doesn't mean exactly who you probably thought that it meant. So we'll talk to her about that, and we'll talk to Murph from Grill Your Ass Off. That is a company based down in Texas, Texas-owned, veteran-owned, and what Murph has done is started this company. We're basically... He's giving you everything you need to make a delicious barbecue meal. He's giving you all the spices and all the good stuff that comes along with barbecue. He's not selling the meat, but everything you need to to make the meat delicious. That's what Grill Your Ass Off is about. We're going to talk to Murph about why he started that company and whether he was one of those soldiers who was always standing around the grill at his command anytime they had a cookout. Speaking of soldiers, I don't know if he stood around the grill helping during the cookouts or not, but... It's time to welcome Super Producer Jake Hughes to the studio. Jake, good morning. How are you? How was your weekend?
1: My weekend was pretty good, and you can cook a pretty decent meal from the exhaust of a tank, if you didn't know that.
0: that Yeah, that would seem to make sense. It would probably... Is there any diesel-y taste to it when you do that? There's a
1: little bit of a film to it, but hey, that, that's all part of the tanker experience.
0: There you go. Yeah, this guy, uh, you know, he started a... Uh, he's, he's doing the seasonings and all that stuff, and it's really... Uh, it's it's uh, pretty... Pretty good deal that he's got going there, and something that, you know, there's a market for. That's the thing that we talked to him about, and we talked to all these other veteran entrepreneurs about is why, how did you find that opening in the market? I mean, yeah, okay, everybody has an idea for a great t shirt, but the problem is there's like 20 companies that are already kind of have that market saturated. What isn't somebody doing within the veteran entrepreneur space? He found. Barbecue seasonings and things like that, which is pretty interesting. Of course, him being from Texas, like you, he is a barbecue fan. Most people down there certainly seem to be. Uh up where I am, it's not as big of a thing. Certainly not as big as it is in Texas or uh Tennessee or any of the places where it's really, really big. Up in the northeast, it's like, yeah, we like it, but we don't live it.
1: Y'all all about that clam chowder. Oh, yeah, clam that's clam chowder.
0: True. I'll eat no well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I pronounce my R's quite properly. You're speaking (laughs) of people from Massachusetts and Rhode Island who have a garbage accent. Let's be honest. It's one of the most god-awful things. Nails on a chalkboard and the the Boston accent uh, at large, that regional accent. Basically the two worst sounds in the world to me.
1: Yeah, Eric throwing some shade today.
0: That and people eating. I really don't like the sounds of people eating. Like if I'm listening to a a radio show or a podcast and someone starts eating, like an apple especially, but anything, if you start eating mouth sounds in the mic, guess what? Never listening to you again. I actually had to delete a podcast that I listened to for quite a while because they started doing that the other day. Like, oh yeah, this is delicious. No, thank you. Nope, you're done. You're dead to me. So there you go. Now you know. If you really want to irritate me, send me recordings of people eating. Of course, I'll figure out what they are and not listen. But eh, you know, do what you got to do. That is when it comes to eating a sound that I don't care for. Drinking sounds not as large, not as large, not as large, not as gross, not as disgusting as eating sounds. Drinking sounds are uh, a lot easier to take for me. The sound of someone guzzling down a glass of water, unless that water is coming from a contaminated source, and it turns out that one hundred and twenty-six. Military bases tested at alarming rates of polyfluoroalkyl chemicals, (P.O.P.F.O.S.), which is found in military firefighting foam. So basically, AFFF, I believe. aqueous film-forming foam, it's called. A March Defense Department report to the House Armed Services Committee surfaced, and it became widely known that at least 126 of those bases did have that. We know this, but now the report itself has been seen, and it's been looked at by a lot of people. 800-plus pages, and it's extensive. And here's what our own Matt Sainsing says you need to know, and you can check out the full story after I give you the notes over on ConnectingVets.com. Long-term damage. Long-term effects, I should say, health effects, liver damage, elevated cholesterol, issues with pregnancy, immunization, even infertility, and PFAS, PFOS, or AS, well, it says OS in the beginning, it says AS here, I think it's AS, anyway, can get in breast milk and impact a fetus in the womb. Uh, Lab animal testing, for those of you who wonder, what do we have to test on animals? Well, it's because that way you don't do it on people. The effects on lab animals include toxicity of the liver immune system and impacting the animal's development can also lead to complete organ failure. So this is a a pretty big deal with these uh, polyfluoroalka chemicals. I've never heard of that before, but now I've heard of it because it's apparently in a lot of people's drinking water at a lot of military bases. Now, when you look at the 126 U.S. military bases, I was in for 13 years. See, a couple places I spent some time on is there the thing is i don't recall ever drinking water on any of those places so i suppose <laughs> that's my saving grace i think the more really the more um significant issue is that people lived who lived on that base and on yeah those bases. like people in the barracks and stuff people in the barracks like- or on ships that are hooked up to the base water or things like that yeah it's certainly a uh you never even like drank from a fountain you know, bottled water, I think most of the time when I was on ships, definitely bottled water because the water on those ships tasted weird, whether you were out to sea or not. So I always made sure I had bottled water, uh, there, uh, and on bait, like, no, I like, so I was only, well, when it comes to, uh, my time in the military, I lived on base in Iceland and that was it except for a couple months living in a barracks in Norfolk while looking for an apartment, Um, that was it. So, if I wasn't living there, I worked there and then I got the hell off at the end of the day. I spent little to no time on military bases that I did not need to spend over my 13 years. Had absolutely, I was not one of these guys who's just hanging around on base doing stuff that you just see wandering around on base, like, oh, wonder what he's doing today. Well, if you saw me there, I was working. Otherwise, no, that or shopping, I suppose. So, yeah, you have uh, all these chemicals and looking at this. This Dep- defense department report, you have the polyfluoroalkyl substances, and it's 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 difficult to parse through all of what it means and the specifics. But you're talking about a lot of uh, a lot of places that were affected. So, Jake, you were in the army, and it has a list by each branch of service. So, uh, let's see where were you stationed? What duty station? Uh, Fort Riley, uh, Fort Hood, Fort Benning, Fort Meyer riley hood benning and meyer so i'm looking through it right now it doesn't look like those were among the affected places nope you're good Woo-hoo! to go so uh you will not have to worry about uh the, those things at least not from that source uh as far as we are aware oh wait no hold on a second there may be some oh no hold on fort Meade. i know you spent time there and so did i there you go they te- they sampled four off-base groundwater monitoring wells all four of them at Fort Meade tested above the EPA's uh, acceptable levels. Yay. So you've got that. All right. Yeah. So Fort Meade, that's the only place that I think you would have. NAS And I spent some time there. Uh, let's see. So looking through the the Navy ones, yeah, there's a whole bunch. NAS Oceania, Agana Guam. Yep. That was there. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, let's see, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of places uh, out there and – Oh, Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. Oh, no, in Maine. So that's not the one I was at. I was at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, Virginia. I didn't. Why would they name it the same? Why would you have two shipyards with the same name located less than, what, 400 miles apart or something like that? I don't know. 29 Palms. So Marine Corps stations look like uh, there's quite a few there. Earl, New Jersey, again, does not surprise me (laughs) at all. That place is just weird. Isn't everything
1: dirty in New Jersey?
0: Smells funny. No, not necessarily. There are some lovely areas of New Jersey. And then, of course, the big one for the Navy. And this is, uh, you know, from, from what I can tell on there, the largest military base uh, that shows up on this list. And that is Norfolk, Virginia Naval Base. NOB, the big one. So they tested 45 places, uh, these on-base groundwater monitoring wells tested 45 of them, 29 came back above the acceptable uh, EPA levels. So, I mean, it, it's it's not good, but it doesn't also surprise me. I mean, <laughs> this is not like, you know, there there are some things that you would see when you were in the military when it came to, uh, you know, firefighting or or getting rid of oil or all these other things. It's like, well, is that really the way that we should be doing this? Well, apparently not, and apparently it's caused uh, some serious issues. Now, these... Chemicals apparently can get out of the uh, the human system, but it can take up to four years to get the chemicals out. Uh, rodents have those chemicals out in a matter of hours. So when they look at the testing of them, it looks like it moves a lot faster. So the rodents that they tested them on, rats and stuff like that, um, seem to have shown the symptoms faster and have gotten... My shirt is always in some state of partially on or off outside of our studio. It's a little bit distracting. (laughs) What are you going to do? Now, here's some better news. And the picture for the story by our own Jonathan Copanger has water on it that appears to not have any polyfluoroalkyl chemicals that are going to rot out your liver or anything like that. It's a picture of a lake because it's a story about the benefits available to veterans in Minnesota. So, Jake, when you hear of the state of Minnesota, the great state of Minnesota, What's the first thing that comes to mind for you?
1: Uh my uncle John. Oh, lives, your uncle John he lives, lives here? near Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, okay.
0: I think of uh, well curling because there's a big curling scene up there, but there's also of course a large veteran and military population. I don't know if I could live in Minnesota because the winter is about 11 months long and then you get one month of like, oh boy, it's 50-60 degrees essentially, <laughs> and then back into the deep freeze. But they do offer some incentives for veterans to go there. Um, So there are quite a few when it comes to taxes. If you're a member of the military and a Minnesota resident, you can subtract federally taxable active duty military pay when determining your Minnesota tax. So there you, I mean, obviously that's one that you should know about. If you're from Minnesota credit for military service in a combat zone, if you were a state resident serving in a combat zone or qualified hazardous duty area, um, you get combat zones approved for tax benefits, There, credit for past military service, $750 $750 credit if you served at least 20 years on active duty or have a service-connected disability of 100% or were honorably discharged. So, um, that's odd. How about just saying like, or were honor... I mean, if you did 20 years on active duty... What are the chances that you were other than honorably discharged?
1: Uh, I don't know. I pretty see sergeants major,
0: Sergeant major get in trouble. It's pretty, they'll usually give them an honorable discharge, though. They'll just have them retire at that point. they just oh, force them to not retire. Not always. I've I've seen. Typically. Yeah, typically, yes, but I, I've seen some extraordinary circumstances. Well, there you go. Uh, disabled veterans, homestead property tax exclusion. So a whole bunch of tax stuff. Um, you can also, re- uh, if you have a pension, subtract some of that retirement pay from. Your state tax education, Minnesota GI Bill, eligible state vets, National Guard and Reserve serving since September 11th. Eligible spouse and children may receive up to 10K to use on higher education, on the job training and apprenticeships. That's in addition to the GI Bill. This is a separate one. The Minnesota GI Bill, veteran education assistance. Available for veterans who have been a resident of the state at the time of entry. Six months after that, surviving spouse and dependent education benefit. On-campus resource centers for veterans, so that's good. Now let's look at the careers. Minnesota veterans have limited preference over non-vets in hiring and promotion for most state public employment positions. Non-disabled veterans get a credit of 10 points on the exam that you have to take for that and and, and all that stuff. Disabled veterans get a 15-point Direct appointment to state jobs authorizes direct appointment for veterans with at least a 30% disability. There's also uh, other workforce things that are available to vets over there. My computer is not working properly this morning. It's The scroll button seems to not be uh, registering. Anyway. Family, short-term financial assistance to provide help with rent and mortgage, utility bills, health insurance, premium premiums to eligible veterans and their dependents. So essentially, if you're living in uh, Mon- Montana, Minnesota, and you contact your county veteran service officer and say, like, hey, we're, we're having trouble making ends meet this month, they can help you out with that. With short-term financial assistance is so something that can help you out, uh, kind of like how the military had. You would have those... Uh, Navy Marine Corps Relief was the, uh, the program with us. What was the Army's call?
1: Army Emergency Relief. Army A-A-R. Emergency Relief. Yeah.
0: So uh, I never had to use that, but I knew people who did people who would have a death in the family say, and needed to get home, but didn't have the money to pay for a plane ticket because they were stationed in Guam and home was in New York. And that's like the $2,000 round trip. So there are, uh, Programs like that for the military, but then when you get out and you're kind of on your own, yeah, there's federal and state programs, but this one is specifically for veterans and you're able to go to the county veteran service officer, also dental assistant provided to vets and their dependents for routine dental extraction and denture procedures, it's income and asset base, and you could receive up to a thousand dollars for annual routine care paid to the provider. So one thing that the VA doesn't provide for those, like I think think I'm eligible for seven years from the time I got out because I served in Afghanistan for full VA medical care. That ends a couple months from now, if I'm correct. I was never eligible for dental benefits and most people aren't. VA doesn't cover dental for anybody and dental is very important and it's also very expensive. It's not something that you can just kind of throw 10 bucks at or find a discount dentist. If you find a discount dentist, that's that's not a good sign. Yeah, you
1: ever seen that movie the dentist?
0: I'm sure he was discount. No, I don't even I don't even want to know that. It's that's horrifying. horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, dental assistance, that's a big one. They also have optical assistance, special needs grants uh on a case by case basis um, you know, If you're out there and you need money, special needs grants are available on a case-by-case basis. Here's another cool one. Entertainment-free annual state park permits. That's a good one. In some states, you have to pay like $20 every time you go into a state park. Well, active duty, including National Guard and other military reserves, get a free annual state park permit out there. And small game licenses, that's one that I like, are available for resident veterans with proof of 100% service-related disability. So if you are... 100% 100% service-related, you get a small game license. You can go out hunting and, and do all that stuff. There are five state-run veterans' homes in Minnesota with admissions requirements, including honorable discharge after at least 181 consecutive days. 181 is... That's about like six months, I think. Yeah, it's Something exactly like six that. months in yeah. one day. Six months and one... Well, some months are 31 days, though, right?
1: Well, yeah, but still, 180 days, that's six months.
0: Not necessarily. What if you have... 31 day month, 30 day month, 30. Okay, day you're month, making my brain smoke. Just calm down. Six months technically is probably going to be on average 183 days. Because thir- think about it, we have 30 day months and 31 day months, right? Right. It's about half and half. So if you add them together, there is going to be 30 times six plus three. It's 183 on average for six months.
1: Okay, I just derped hard. Let's
0: move on. <laughs> it happens. So, if you've done if you meet those uh, you can take a virtual tour of the homes by clicking on links on this article that Jonathan Kopanger wrote and it is available at ConnectingVets.com. They've also got cemetery and burial benefits out there and there are veteran benefits available in these Veterans Benefits in My Backyard segments that Jonathan Kopanger does on connectingvets.com. just about every state. I mean, each state has some incredible benefits out there that you know about. I'm sure some of them and some of them that I guarantee you don't know about. Well, Jonathan is very familiar with the VA, so he finds out about all those benefits and then goes into the deep workings of the individual states. Now, Jake, you're from Texas, which is known for its wonderful programs for veterans, basically. They were I believe the first state to offer college for free for all veterans, all Texas. I think so. Veterans. Yeah, yeah. So there are. I mean, everybody knows about that one, right? If you're from Texas yeah. and you go into the, you know that you're going to get to go to college for free. Again, as long as you, as long as you meet all of the uh, the criteria for it, you can. So. That's a benefit everybody knows about. There are also a ton of benefits that you know people don't know about. And if you go and check out that story on the Minnesota benefits in my backyard, or Bimby, as some people like to call them, that just sounds weird to me, so I, I, say, I say out the whole name. Ain't that that deer that got shot in that movie? Bimby, yes, Bimby. Uh, So he's got the one on the amusement parks and beaches around the country, Memorial Day benefits, military spouses benefits, and then the individual states, Alabama, Arizona, California, Colorado, District of Columbia, Florida. I mean, we've got all sorts of states out there. There are 50 of them. We don't have 50 benefits in my backyards up yet, but eventually I believe that is the plan. Like Maryland, that's where I live now, Jake, and I don't really know about many of the veteran benefits. I keep wanting to say veteran benefits. Ugh, it's a Monday. Property tax exemption for disabled veterans and surviving spouses, vehicle registration tax credit. Proof of status is required. The veterans of the Afghanistan-Iraq conflict scholarship program providing financial assistance. Uh, So scholarships, careers, family. What does this offer for my family? Support services for federal yeah, a bunch of grants. So if we fall on hard times, we'll have some help dealing with that. Uh, they have a lot of other good stuff out there, including state recreational facility passes for those with a disability. Um, the Greenwell Foundation offers veterans opportunities to participate in its inclusive and accessible programs, including horseback riding, river riders, kayaking, vets helping vets, and Operation Warrior Refuge. There is uh, discounted fishing and hunting licenses available for Purple Heart recipients. Uh, POWDAV hunting licenses are complimentary and last a lifetime. Um, This is, uh, yeah, this is really some great stuff going on that I wasn't aware of. And that's part of the problem is that we as veterans aren't aware of the things that are available to us out there, you know, that people don't know that, hey, there's basically something that's going to save you money or something that's going to allow you to pursue uh, this kind of degree or something like that. And of course, there are people who oh, free money. That's all you're looking It's not looking for free money. It's looking for ways to save money. Keep the money that you have. Go and do the things that you want to do. Go after the degree that you want. Get the things that you want. Those are all very important things. And Those are things that you can check out at Benefits of My Backyard. It's right there on ConnectingVets.com. Again, you'll see the Minnesota one right on the front page, and then there's a little link you can click in there to the Benefits of My Backyard category to see a whole bunch more of them. It's really a fantastic series that we have. We've also got a whole bunch of things on video games, and Jake Hughes is in studio with us right now, of course, and his last one, video games. Addictive or just fun? My question to you, Jake, why not both? (laughs) <laughs> Can't they be addictive and fun?
1: <laughs> they can be, and but my argument that I bring up in my story is that by the definitions they throw out, literally anything can be classified as addictive. Any hobby, if you do it too much, you can be addicted to taxidermy. You can be addicted to your phone. So to single out video games like this, to me, reeks of the old biases where video games are seen as something childish or something dangerous. The old baby boomers looking at this going, oh, my my son plays 20 hours of video games a week. He's addicted. No, maybe he's just enthusiastic about his hobby.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think the thing that they look at is, that it's a hobby where there are often no tangible results from it. It's not like, you know, wood carving, where you have a, a wood-carved statue afterwards. In this one, it's just this, you know, there is stuff online that's tangible, of course, like scoreboards and things like that. Rankings, different different things that you get, like in MMORPGs, special weapons and things like that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly a controversial topic that I think does... Divide in large part along generational lines. I think there are even people of uh, of my generation, people in their late 30s, early 40s, who eh, they kind of skipped past the video game thing. But then when you get to later generations, and with the uh, the smartphone thing now, where people playing you know Bubble Pop and Candy Crush on their phones are like, I'm a gamer. Well, yeah, you know what? To some extent, you are. Uh, and those things might be more addictive than the yes. console and computer games. And they're also often pay to win. Not pay to play, but pay to win. I do play Candy Crush. I'll go on you know, a couple months at a time and then not play it for years and then a couple months at a time. Right now I'm playing one, and I understand why people spend money on that game because I'm on a level right now that is it's seemingly impossible to beat. Just keep trying it. Just keep trying it. But if I spent five bucks, boy, I'd be able to get through. <laughs> and that's been the case. So I'm like 50 different levels through it. But yeah, you know, I think that there are... People who can get addicted to anything, literally anything, but video games are not, they're not heroin, they're not crack, and they're not hurting or, or killing most people. There are those people. I mean, we've heard the horror stories that make the news. And of course, things make the news because they are out of the ordinary. That's why something is newsworthy. But like of the parents who ignore their children while they're playing uh, Warcraft or something like that, that's that's the exception, not the rule. And Jake's story kind of delves into that. He uh, cites articles from Psychology Today about how gaming can actually help improve basic visual processes, attention and vigilance, even executive function, the ability to allot your mental resources in ways that allow for rapid, efficient Problem solving or decision making So take that Parents who don't think that your kids should be playing video <laughs> games—they're we're learning how to do executive decisions. That's what's going on there. So, I love that movie. Yeah, executive with uh, Steven Seagal. Yeah, for what, all of five minutes. Sound like Wasamo? Wasn't yeah. he on there too? Yeah, that was a yeah. Good one. Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah, Kurt Russell. That's right. It was Executive Decision. Actually, oh, there we go. Pretty close though. So yeah, go check out that story and all the rest of our content at ConnectingBets.com and follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingBets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and. YouTube. Coming up next, IADA and later off, Murph, the founder of Drill Your Ass Off. All that coming up on the morning briefing after this.
2: Helping military veterans stay connected.
0: We make it easy.
2: We're CBS Radio's connectingvets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online
1: and all over social media Facebook, YouTube, Instagram,
3: and Twitter at Connecting Vets.
0: Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of platforms, including video, audio, articles. The things that we think you need to know about, that you should know about, and that you'd want to know about are the things that we're putting up on the site every day from our team of veterans. That's right. Each and every person on the ConnectingVets.com staff knows what it's like to have worn the uniform and to have taken it off that last time. So that's why they are working diligently every day. Some of them diligently some days, not so diligently others. But what are you going to do about that? You know, it's a working environment. (laughs) Kidding, of course, but I'm not kidding about the great content that you can find on ConnectingVets.com and also by following us on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Each and every Monday, we kick off the week in style by bringing on one of the veteran service organizations that's working diligently as well this is a little bit different than what we're doing. IAVA, they're working to basically make sure that veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan concerns are addressed, are taken care of, are known. And their research director, Steph Mullen, joins us now on the morning briefing. I did not say her full title. Director of Research for IAVA, Steph Numbers are my jam, Mullen, and now joins us live in the studio. Good morning, Steph. How are you today?
2: Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for that correction. I do like the uh, full title. Yeah,
0: hashtag numbers are my jam. And that's. It's true. Numbers are her jam. It's what she does. She is the research director for IAVA. And there's a lot of research to go over on one particular subject, as we have had both the CDC and VA now reports on suicide data over the past two weeks. So in general, overarching view, what does the VA is the most recent one, but combine it with the CDC. What do these reports tell us about the issue of suicide as it relates to veterans?
2: Yeah, uh, I wish I had better news. Uh, the top line would be that suicide is an epidemic. It is killing Americans at an incredible rate. Um, in 2016, we lost 45,000 American lives to suicide, and uh, it hits the veteran population in particular, but this is truly an American problem.
0: It is an American problem, it is a veteran problem, it is a military problem, and I want to talk to you about that last one and the one before it. Some interesting data that came out from the VA report that no one seemed to be aware of until this report came out is that the number that we hear, the 20 a day, uh, formerly 22 a day, now it's 20 a day again, when you look at the data and if it's your jam like it is for Steph Mullen, she can tell you that number may be going down but the suicide rate is actually going up. The reason the number is going down in part is because we have fewer veterans around each day as we lose the largest generations including the Korean War and World War II generations. So the rate as the number of veterans drops down is still rising uh, despite the fact that that overall number may be dropping. But anyway, point is that 20 that we heard about, I always thought and I think most people did, that it was 20 veteran suicides a day. And the reason I thought that is because they said 20 veteran suicides a day. The VA report actually revealed that that's not necessarily the case, is it, Steph?
2: True. Uh, So the latest VA report breaks that down a little bit further and says actually that 20 a day breaks into about 16 veterans a day and four active-duty-slash-guards-slash-reserve a day. Now, this is... In addition, and I would even argue in contrast to the DOD suicide report that comes out annually.
0: So... In contrast, you say, meaning that the numbers don't match up there. So DOD is saying, I'm guessing, uh, that there's more than four a day, or are there fewer than three a day? Or
2: So I did a little digging, and I went back to the 2015 DOD report. Uh, and DOD releases their suicide numbers every year. Okay. Uh, so it's only about a six-month lag that we get. Uh, so this report was released in 2016. And DOD's number is about 500 total. Um, if you p- pull that... For a day, let's say for the twenty a day active duty guard and reserve, that puts you at about thirteen hundred yeah. active duty guard reserve, according to the VA. Right. So DoD is saying five hundred, give or take. VA saying about thirteen hundred, give or take.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm not sure where the difference is. Um, I've gone back and looked at the methodology, and I, I can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are people out there much smarter than me that know it um, or are looking at the data and can tell me and I'd be very interested to know. But I definitely think that that is uh, a cause for concern and should raise some alarms for all of us that those numbers are so far apart.
0: Do you think it's underreporting by DOD or somehow conflating people that aren't on active duty at the VA? What's behind that number difference?
2: So my hunch is just the reporting um, and the way that it's being reported. Hmm. For example, maybe it's in, in the DOD report, it's only those within the system and maybe VA is capturing those that are like transitioning out at a certain moment. I'm not really sure. Oh, yeah. Like I can't put my finger on it. Um, it's definitely a question that I've had when I'm looking at these numbers uh, that doesn't seem to make sense with to me.
0: And that's uh, a problem, and it's kind of uh, indicative of the issues that we have of disconnects between the DOD and VA, which uh, many people blame uh, for a segment of those suicides. You know, the transition from uh, the DOD healthcare to the VA healthcare and that not going smoothly and leading to problems. I mean, it, it's it's how can those numbers be so different? How can it be almost three times as large, according to the VA report, as it is to the DOD report? That doesn't make sense to me because I'm not good at math, but I do know 1,300, 1,400 or so, that's a lot bigger than 500. I'm aware of that kind of math. But when I hear someone like you who it's your job to parse data like that saying, I don't understand this, and it's a bit of a red flag what do you think needs to be done about this? Who addresses it? Does there need to be some sort of oversight from someone who's not from VA or DOD? Or is it as simple as having VA and DOD uh, researchers get together and say, well, here's where our numbers are coming from. Here's where ours are coming from. Let's figure out the difference.
2: Yeah, perhaps. And like I said, it might be a really simple answer because theoretically the VA report is taking the CDC numbers and running it through DOD numbers and DOD reports and coming back. And that's how they're finding their numbers. That they're giving us. So they're already going through the DOD side of it, um, which again is why I, I'm not sure where the disconnect is. Um, it might be just a simple reporting difference uh, that we're not catching. And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, sitting down with VA and really parsing that out and finding it um, done in a different report or just a meeting one-on-one. And we haven't really had that conversation and that chance is uh, VSOs.
0: Some people are going to look at the differential in numbers there and say, well, someone's hiding something or someone's trying to, let's look at it from either way. You could have someone who says, well, the DOD's numbers are so much lower because they're hiding it. They're underreporting these things because it would look bad if we had three times as many uh, active duty National Guard and Reserve members killing themselves each year. Then you'll have the other people who will say, well, the VA is overreporting it so that they can get more money for programs that they run on this stuff. There's no evidence of any of that, right? I mean, this looks more like it's just uh, some sort of weird math issue where people are reporting differently.
2: Yeah, at this point, uh, I definitely would not go that far and say that there's a malicious intent on either side or in any way. Uh, I think that this new breakout between what's veteran and what's active duty guard and reserve is probably just either a change in the methodology or just a change in the capability From VA that they're able to do this now and they weren't able to do it before or maybe they're just releasing it to the public now and they weren't doing it before Um, and so every time you do that or find a new capability there's always going to be the questions that come after it um, and sort of pushing that to the next level.
0: We're speaking with Steph Mullen, Research Director for IAVA. That stands for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, if you didn't know. But chances are you do, as they have a very big profile and have been doing quite a few big things over the years for veterans in general, and specifically for those who are veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan one of the things that IAVA has been instrumental in recently, has been heavy, heavily involved in, is this new burn pit legislation, legislation, not registration, although registration is part of the legislation. Um, there has been some new movement, and not good movement when it comes to burn pits, according to most people that I've talked to, and that is uh, basically a court ruling on veterans who are trying to file lawsuits uh, based on health conditions that they believe arose from being around those open burn pits. What can you tell us about that uh, that that court ruling?
2: Yeah, so very recently this came down. Uh, there was a court ruling that said that uh, veterans that were lobbying against a military contractor could not actually move forward with the, with their case because that military contractor – Uh, was following the directions from the military and it was under military judgment. Uh Uh, And so therefore it cannot be handled in a civilian court, um, which is, it is definitely a step back for us, right? It's a step back for uh, the burn pit movement at large that this case can't be tried in a civilian court, but it does mean that we have to address it on the legislative side. Uh, We have to address it in Congress and, Uh, Gives us even more reason to push through the Burn Pits Accountability Act, which is the IAVA-backed legislation that we're doing, um, which will put a little bit of onus on DOD um, and a little bit more accountability on tracking burn pit exposures um, and ultimately pulling that connection of um, those effects of burn pits and what happens, you know, 10, 15 years down the road after you've been exposed to burn pits.
0: It kind of makes sense to me that that ruling would go in that way from a legal perspective, also just from a rational perspective, where... If DOD was hiring these contractors and the contractors were the ones who just decided, oh, we're going to start using burn pits and we're going to put them right here. That's not what happened. They were directed by DOD. This is what they were told to do by DOD. Is that essentially what this comes down to is figuring out who the responsible authority was? Because as we all know, you've you got to go after the, the person who's making the decision or that's the way that it should start anyway, not the people who are executing orders, which uh, may not have been healthy, but at the time were certainly legal, Right.
2: Certainly. So I think there's two minds of this. Um, That is one mind of it, right? That DOD is the one giving the orders telling uh, this military contractor where to set up the burn pits, uh, how to dispose of the waste. The other side of that argument is that these military contractors had a little bit of freewheeling about how they set it up, exactly what they were doing, how they managed it. And so it seems like the court is ruling in favor of the uh, DOD option in the first one, um, which just means that for veterans and even contractors at large, uh, it kind of sets them back a little bit that it needs to go through now Congress and uh, legislation.
0: And of course, I was always under the impression that in order to sue any part of the United States government, you actually need the United States government's permission to move forward on that, specifically when it comes to the Department of Defense. So that is uh, certainly, as you said, uh, it can be viewed as a step back. Uh, But that court ruling, uh, it happened. So now we need to deal with it. One of the ways that they're dealing with burn pits is this legislation, the burn pit legislation that has to do with uh, the registry and so much more, the burn pits accountability act. What can you tell us about where that stands right now?
2: Yeah. So we are certainly gaining momentum. Uh, We picked up 18 co-sponsors just in the past week, which is so great. Um, We're seeing a lot of support around this. Again, this is really the starting point to a much larger campaign a much larger movement when we're talking about burn pits and um, it's just the first step. So we're excited to see where it goes uh, on Monday. So the 25th we're partnering with rep Tulsi Gabbard uh, with, and Twitter stripes and doing a veterans forum. Burn pits will be highlighted of course. And you can follow along with us at IVA at Twitter DC uh, and hashtag Vets rising. If you have particular questions that you'd like answered.
0: That is really good to hear. And, of course, Twitter Stripes, for those who aren't familiar with it, I only recently became acquainted with it, and that is essentially a a military and veteran-focused account run by Twitter, correct?
2: It is. We are really excited to be partnering with Twitter on this and Twitter Stripes, which is the military veteran outpost of Twitter. Uh, And then Twitter DC, of course, is their policy shop and more DC-focused. And so both of those will be streaming this forum, and it will be at 4 p.m. uh, this Monday.
0: That is great to see and great to hear and great that there are ways for people to be uh, involved in these different things that are happening. One aspect that people at this point can't really be involved in, but I'm certainly sure we'll be paying attention to, is the nomination of VA secretary nominee now, Robert Wilkie. Of course, Wilkie is the former um acting secretary of the VA who did that job while also serving as Under Secretary of defense for personnel and readiness. It looks like we now have the date, the official date for the confirmation hearing. I've been hearing from a lot of people they expect him to go through. Is there anything more you can tell us about that hearing and anything that uh, IAVA has to say about the possibility of Robert Wilkie moving into that position full time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the confirmation hearing will be this Wednesday at 2.30 on the Senate side, of course, uh, we will be tracking it online. We've created a Facebook event. Um, you can find it on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash And we'll be doing videos leading into and then after the confirmation hearing. Uh, we'll also be sending out emails and updates throughout the weekend and leading into next week about um, the confirmation hearing. And at this point, we're really waiting to see what our members think about uh This confirmation hearing and the nomination of Mr. Wilkie. Uh, But we look forward to having a good confirmation hearing on Wednesday.
0: Of course, that's how IAVA does things waiting to hear what the membership says. You put out surveys uh, and, and make sure that you get there opinions before you uh, really make too many decisions or take too much action on anything because you want to make sure that you're doing what the IAVA membership wants to do. Although in recent years, as I understand it, it seems that the uh, confidence in the VA, even when things seem to be running pretty well under Secretary Shulkin, the confidence in the VA and the leadership there among the IAVA membership was was pretty low, wasn't it?
2: Absolutely. So we did a poll just a few months ago. Uh, asking about VA leadership and specifically trust in VA leadership. And I would certainly characterize it as a trust crisis. Um, At the local level, I think our membership has a bit more trust in the leadership there, but still low. It was about 25% had trust in their local VA leadership. At the national level, at the time of the poll, it was about 15%. Mm.
3: Uh,
2: So lower than the um, local, but again, really not great on either front. And I think that just shows the experience of our membership um, and also what they're seeing and hearing in the news, unfortunately.
0: Based on what you learned from those surveys that you put out and what the IAVA membership wants to see at the VA, what do you think some of the steps are that, let's say, Wilkie gets confirmed, best case scenario for him, and it's looking pretty likely that he will be confirmed as the next secretary of the VA. What are some of the steps that he, he needs to take in, in the eyes of the IAVA membership to start fixing that, uh, that gap in trust that you're seeing there?
2: Yeah, I think transparency, first and foremost, is the best thing um, that any bureaucratic institution can do. But ultimately, it comes down to our members' experience when they walk in the doors of the VA and the care that they're receiving. Um, We can do many things at the national level. We can talk about different policies. We can change policies. We can move through legislation. But until it trickles down to what our membership exists, is experiencing when they go to book an appointment at VA, or when they go to find their medical records at VA, or when they want to go for a medical healthcare appointment, um, and if they like their doctors, or if they don't, or if they trust them. I don't think we're going to see a change in the numbers.
0: And certainly a change in the numbers on all of these things is what we want to see in a positive direction. We want to see suicide rates dropping, overall number of suicides dropping. Thankfully, there are people like Steph Mullen, who you may have heard, numbers are her jam. So she's paying attention to all that stuff and getting uh, as much of it uh, onto the radar of the IAVA membership as she can. Steph, I know, as you talked about, big part of your job and a big part of what IAVA does are these surveys and looking out to their membership for uh, their response and how they feel about things. What are some of the ones that you guys have coming up? Or can you even release uh, those before they're actually in place?
2: So I don't like to uh, (laughs) serve a dinner until it's fully cooked, as we (laughs) like to say. Um, But we do have some things in the pike. Uh, I will be happy to share them with you guys once those results come out. Uh, But up until even the last few minutes, we are always changing exactly the questions. And part of that is just alpha testing and beta testing, ensuring that um, it's a really fancy way of just saying that we're making sure the questions sound good, uh, that there's no bias (laughs) in the questions, uh, that we're being as diligent as possible in the user experience. So uh, hopefully in coming weeks and months, I can come back to you with some more data.
0: Well... When that data comes in, we will still be having IAVA on the show every Monday. Today, Steph Mullen, Research Director of the organization Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, has been our guest. And Steph, if people want to find out more about IAVA, specifically if they want to find more about the research and those surveys that we were just talking about, where do they go to do so?
2: Absolutely. IAVA.org is where you can find us. IAVA.org slash research is where you'll see all of my uh stuff that I have going on, uh, past reports and polling, iava.org slash survey is where you'll find our latest membership survey. And then you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at IAVA. I am also on Twitter at Steph Moles, Uh Hashtag numbers are my jam. <laughs> and uh, we're also on Instagram, IAVA.
0: Well, there you go. All the ways to reach out to IAVA and Steph Mullen, even directly. If you have a question about research or something you think they should be looking into, I'm sure they'd love to hear about it. Steph, thank you so much for joining us once again in on the Morning Briefing.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: We now welcome Jake Hughes back into the studio. And Jake, a question for you. When you heard that the 20-a-day suicide number is not just veterans, that it includes active duty, guard, and reserves, what did you think about that?
1: Well, it's interesting because, on the one hand, it makes sense that they would, because typically when you talk about veterans, you also are talking about military. But uh, at the same time, it's surprising because... People don't tend to focus so much on, I mean, outside of the military itself, people don't really focus on military suicides. They focus on veteran suicide.
0: It's also not as publicized, partially because when active duty military guard reserves commit suicide, well, particularly active duty military, which would make up the lion's share of uh, suicides within those groups, It's typically happening on a military facility. It's able to be kept a little bit quieter than if it happens out in town. Uh, Of course, we've had uh, years of hearing about this, 22 a day and then 20 a day, and it was veteran suicide. Now, those serving on active duty, you could technically qualify as veterans. After they've served a day, that means that they have served past tense. So, you know, you could do that. But when we think of veterans, it's, it's a specific definition of those who are no longer serving in the military. I wonder why that number was used in, in as a veteran number instead of just a military and veteran number. I don't think it would have been any less effective and any less, um, uh, you know, of, of a thing for people to to be upset about if it had been presented that way. But now, years later, when you find out, oh, wait, that number doesn't mean what I thought it did for the last few years that's when I think it can take something away from it, where now people, and I've seen people who do this, believe it or not, uh, who talk about the uh, the suicide issue and say, it's not that big a deal. It's this, it's that, it's this. And now if you have this number being presented uh, kind of incorrectly, or at least mislabeled for many years, uh, that gives some firepower to those people, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with When you think about active duty military, a lot of people in the civilian world think that there's nothing they can do, that they can't help them, or that it's not their responsibility because they're still in the military. It's the military's responsibility. And I understand why the military may not want to advertise this because, as you said, they like to keep things kind of quiet
0: and not necessarily
1: make it that big a deal. But with veterans civilians look at it as that's our responsibility because they're civilians now.
0: Yeah. The other interesting thing there was that the DOD and VA suicide numbers as Steph as Steph told us don't match up as far as you know, who is uh, who commits suicide while, while serving, uh, the numbers don't match up. So if you don't have the same numbers, and as she said, it's hard to know exactly why, but certainly some questions that need to be asked. The suicide issue, listen, if it's one a day, that's too many. That's 365 a year. That's way too many of our brothers and sisters in arms that are leaving us too soon. And it's something that absolutely needs to be dealt with. It's just, you know, when you look at something like this, where oh, I've heard twenty-two a day for so long, and now it's looking more like it's twenty a day. Oh, now it's looking like that twenty a day includes those on active duty and reservists and guards and every. It's it's it starts raising questions in people's minds, like oh, is this something that we should really be focused on? Yes, let's let's stop that line of questioning right there. Yes, it's absolutely something that needs to be focused on. But this will give ammunition to those people who say, like, well, you know what? That's their decision, and this this thing, and it's not that big a deal. doesn't impact readiness. If someone decides they want to go, they want to go. Uh, something like this, where, again, for years and years, 20 veterans a day, that's how it's always presented. Twenty veterans a day. It's not 20 veterans or military members a day, because that's also you're adding in a, a larger number of people. It's I don't know, man. It's it's just kind of disappointing to hear that. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of like when I was in college and you would hear that uh, one out of five uh, young ladies going to school would be the victim of sexual assault. It was based on a study that even the people who did the study said like, whoa, 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 this was a very limited study. It was more likely to be responded to by people who had been victims of sexual assault. So this number, uh, this is not something that you should go by, but it gave uh, some people who had an agenda, it gave them exactly what they needed to kind of push their agenda which in general stopping sexual assault I would say, is certainly a good thing for people to want to do. But when you're using faulty data to push forward uh, programs and push through initiatives, uh, then eventually when it comes out uh, that that data was in fact faulty, then people can start raising concerns and questions about, well, why did you pass this thing through if that number wasn't true, if if, if the government says it was something else, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think another part of it is that people don't like to admit the fact that people serving in the military might need help.
0: Yeah, well, and they certainly do. I certainly saw quite a bit of that while I was in. I can name off three people off the top of my head that I served with who took their own lives while wearing the uniform. Hmm. Not fun stuff to talk about, but we do have some fun stuff coming up next. It's the founder of Grill Your Ass Off is going to talk to us about how and why he decided to start a company that makes some delicious spices to help you out with your barbecue. I'll give you a hint, partially because he's from Texas, back after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. That's our slogan, and it's what we do. Each and every member of our team knows what it is to wear that uniform and knows what it is to take that uniform off for the last time and take those first baby steps out into the world of the civilian life and becoming a member of the veteran community. And that's why they are hard at work each and every day, writing articles, creating videos, doing radio shows like this one. We're trying to get all the best info out there, give you the info you need, the info you should know, the info you'd want to know, and we're doing it all at ConnectingVets.com and, of course, on social media. You can find us there where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a veteran who's moved into, well, a delicious line of work, if I do say so myself. If you like barbecue, you're going to like this next one. His name is Jason Murph, and he is the founder of Grill Your Ass Off, a veteran-owned, Texas-made barbecue seasonings and beef jerky company. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing.
3: I appreciate you having me on here.
0: So tell us just a little bit about who Jason Murph is as far as, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were in.
3: So, uh, I'm a, uh, Texas native, uh, born and raised here, joined the military, uh, whenever I was, started the process whenever I was 20, uh, took a little while due to, uh, I had a couple metal plates inside me, so I had to get medically cleared for that. Once I got cleared for that, I was green light about eight months later, so ended up going in whenever I was 21 and, uh, spent some time in, uh, at the old guard, the third infantry regiment and ended up, uh. Unfortunately, having to get out early due to a medical discharge, but, and, uh, here we are now.
0: And when that happens, when you have to get out unexpectedly, and I kind of know a little bit about that. Mine was because the Navy decided they were going to cut a bunch of people and I just got caught up in a numbers game and they told me thanks for 12 or 13 years and, uh, have fun (laughs) on the outside, which didn't like how it happened, but I wasn't that upset that it happened. I was kind of tired. When it came to you, your career ending because of a medical issue early on, uh, how much of a shock to the system was that? And do you feel like it made you uh, less prepared to leave the service since it happened in that manner?
3: Uh, it, it it was a total shock. Um, I've always been a very gear and goal driven set person. So uh, the only reason why I joined the military is because growing up, I would see army rangers doing everything like they were, they were the prime person. That's exactly what I wanted to grow up and be. You can look back in my fifth grade school book, uh, the yearbook. And I have written inside there that I want to be a United States army ranger. So I joined the military and ended up, uh, going to just about every school out there other than ranger school. Um, and I, I, ended up having some issues with my ankle and, uh, tearing a couple tendons and ligaments and, uh, pushed it past what I should have done to try and go to a ranger assessment and actually ended up failing the ranger assessment, the five mile run by, um, I believe it was 13 or 15 seconds. Um, <sighs> and at that point right there, um, was the, that was the big shock. Uh, I went back, um, Everybody was, because we started that assessment, I believe at like one or two in the morning. Um, so whenever I came back, everybody was getting ready for PT. And, you, you know, everyone at, was there at the company all, you know, cheering me on, things like that. You know, hey, how's it going? Da-da-da-da-da. And I just had to come back with guilt and regret not being able to do it. And it's not physically, it's, or it is physically not being able to do it. It was just, I was in so much pain, I couldn't push it anymore so uh at that point I went and sat down with my squad leader and just pretty much broke down and kind of I didn't know what to do I'd never been at that point in my life to where I had a physically injury that you know didn't allow me to push forward so uh at that point on I went bounced around from doctor to doctor to doctor everyone had a different diagnosis of what was going on with my leg and my ankle um and after bouncing around for a few months, I finally went up to Walter Reed since I was stationed there in D.C. and saw the doctor and he said, yeah, this is what's wrong with it. Let's do a surgery. And at that point, I was like, heck yeah, you know, cut me open, fix me. I'm ready to go back. Um, they cut me open um, about an inch above where all of my tears uh, inside of my ankle was. Um, and basically removed a whole bunch of scar tissue. Removed a plate that was in my leg from uh, eight or nine years before that, a couple screws from it, chipped away some bone, um, sewed me back up, and said, All right, you're good to go. Um, and at that point, I was in more pain than I was before. Uh, went through the recovery process and then ended up uh, getting to the point where the only doctor that I could see to get another surgery to try and get it fixed was that same doctor. Wow. Um, everything just kept on coming back to him and his his opinion I I didn't trust anymore right. um and it just got to the point uh I had gotten moved from my company I got pushed up as S3 um so I was already you know uh, not being a grunt uh was not making me happy right. um and so it just it, it got to the point you know, I was up for reenlistment and the only thing I could do was uh reclass my MOS and I, I did not want to do that and I couldn't find a doctor. So it was, I said, you know, Hey, just if I can, I want to get med boarded so I can see a right doctor. And, uh, yeah, so I can't really be too mad at the army for it. Cause it was my decision, but right. at the same time, still a little sour about that.
0: Yeah. Just one of those situations that I guess comes up and, you know, it's, it's too bad that you had to go through that and that you had to deal with it. And then of course it comes time to take off that uniform. You decide not to stay in and that means you've got to find a way to push forward. So what do you remember about that transition period for you? You know, when you finally leave the army, what was that period of time like for you?
3: Um, the first part of it was pretty high. I was excited. Um, I was, I had found uh, a buddy of mine was getting out right around the same time. We had found an aviation college um, to go to, and I wanted to be a fixed wing pilot. He wanted to be a rotor wing pilot, so uh, we found a place in Waco, Texas that did both of the school uh, both styles of flying. Uh, accepted the GI Bill, so we we're like, heck yeah, you know, we're gonna get out, go become pilots. Uh, I'm gonna find a doctor outside of the military. Go ahead and get everything fixed up. Um, And everything was all bright, positive. Um, And I I did slack off a lot in our transitioning classes, going through ACAP, all of that. Um, I took the resume writing and the elevator speech classes, things like that, pretty serious, which actually have helped me a lot translate over uh, being a business owner now. Um, But with that, I, I had a real positive mindset until I moved back home uh, our plans with my buddy didn't work out. Um, and then as soon as I get back home to Houston and I see everyone I was in high school with doing the same exact thing, I have nobody who knows what it's like being inside the military and understanding the mindset that I've been developed for the past three and a half years. Um, and you just, for some reason, I don't know why. And I talked to hundreds of vets, they all have a similar story. We just alienate ourselves because it's, oh, you're a civilian. You don't know what you're talking about. You didn't do anything. Da da da, da, da. Um, And I had a period of that whenever I came back home. I started alienating myself. I moved to Waco, started school there. Um, oh, I'm grateful that there was two other infantry vets uh, up there at my school. So we got along well. But, again, as soon as I got out, I was brand new to Waco. I didn't know anyone there. Um, that's when everything's kind of started getting dark. Um, and really the turning point was whenever me and my dad, I came in town to Houston, um, for a motocross race and me and my dad sat down one night, we were having a few drinks and kind of joked around and came up with the name, uh, grill your ass off and to do a seasoning line in the back of my head. And I was like, ah, no, you know, I couldn't do that because if I go to sell to a big, retail chain of stores they wouldn't accept the uh the word ass inside there so we came up with that and kind of joked around about it and then I got pushed off to the side and I focused back on school um did that for a while and then actually um I came back down to Houston uh for three weeks I had gotten an approval from the school um to take off for those three weeks and I was working on expanding a firework business, uh, that I had started to a second location. Um, and the school actually failed me because of a miscommunication and their mm-hmm. scheduling, which I didn't know at the time. So at that point, um, I'd connected with a couple of veterans in the Houston area. Um, and we were kind of joking around, uh, doing a couple of events together, going out shooting, everything like that. Um, everything was slowly kind of coming out of the transitioning, uh, trench, I guess you could say, everything was kind of getting brighter, better. Um, and whenever the school ended up doing that conflict with me, it took me about, um, they'd sent me an email the day before I was leaving back to Waco. I was shutting everything down. I remember, closing down one of the windows inside a fireworks stand and, uh, pulled out my phone and read the email and I had to read it twice. And I was like, no, are you kidding me? <laughs> 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 this isn't right. Um, so I ended up going back there and it took me about, uh, six, seven days to get everything transitioned back to where they had put me back in the class. Cause with that school, if you fail a class, you're dropped from the whole entire program and not allowed back in. Hmm. Um, And everything was just happening so fast. Uh, I decided to go ahead. uh, At that point, I had already created a logo for Grill Your Ass Off, um, and I wanted to kind of push forward with it. So I I don't know why, but I decided to pull the trigger, drop out of college, uh, finish paying off my apartment in Waco, move back to Houston, and jump in with Grill Your Ass Off with uh, both feet.
0: When you look at the company that you've created, and we're speaking with Jason Murphy, he's the founder of Grill Your Ass Off. You know, it's barbecue seasonings and beef jerky. I remember the guys when I was in who always seemed to be around the grill While we, whenever there was a command function or just a nice day outside. Were you one of those guys while you were in the Army? Were you the guy who was always hanging around the grill?
3: Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, obviously, coming from Texas, it's been a thing. Um, I've always enjoyed and loved cooking and um really learning and experimenting with things finding out what is good on what and why it makes it good. So whenever I was in the military I started doing a couple of uh bodybuilding competitions. So you really have to hone in on what is inside of a food and what makes it what. So and typically you're eating pretty unflavored boring food. So I started playing around more and more with spices and we started doing squad lunches, um, at our townhouse. So everyone would look at me and be like, Oh, Murph, uh, you're from Texas. You should barbecue today. <laughs> so everyone kind of, re- uh, relied on me for the barbecue. So that, that's, that's a lot of it is, uh, because of that is understanding and starting to dive in more and more on what creates flavor and why for grill your ass off started all back back then
0: when it comes to the food industry, whether it's you know culinary arts, someone being a great chef, a cook, someone creating something like you did with the seasonings and beef jerky, there are, it seems, not as many veterans entrepreneurs who try to go into the food industry as there are that try to go into, let's say, uh, even the beverage industry or the, the apparel industry. Do you think that's a mistake? Because food is something everybody's always going to need until the end of time. Do you think more veterans who uh are looking for that entrepreneurial spirit and find their place should be looking towards food
3: uh no i definitely do there there's a huge market Uh, i've told some veterans before that have reached out to me and they'll they'll say you know oh hey i didn't know you were here so we're not going to go forward with our idea i'm like bro there's plenty of green grass in america for us to both survive so don't worry about it um Uh, The food industry is huge, um, as well as the drink industry. I think with a lot of veterans, they see other fastly growing veteran businesses, such as the apparel line, you know, with Article 15, uh, Black uh, Black Rifle with the coffee. They see that, and especially with the apparel, you can hop on so many of these e-commerce sites and then design a t-shirt, have somebody else print that t-shirt, fulfill that t-shirt, and you never touch anything. And it's, it's very easy to get into. Um, and then once you take that next step in development of a business, that's where I believe a lot of people don't, they're not prepared for it. They, they took the easy route getting in and then they didn't do the research for what comes next
0: is that what you think is the biggest pitfall for someone who gets involved in entrepreneurship, starting their own company is kind of just having a roadmap laid out and not having the ability or the desire to go anywhere off of that road when a problem does arrive and, you know, change direction or pivot as, as, as people like to say.
3: Oh, totally. Um, I mean, if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. That's one of my favorite quotes. Um, so anything that moves forward, uh, The beef jerky line, I launched, I believe, seven weeks ago now. Um, I've been planning that for over a year and a half. And I'm still trying to work out the bugs because (laughs) all my amazing customers keep on selling me out of it as soon as we get a batch done. So, I mean, it's plan, 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 plan. It's just like measure twice, cut once. There's a reason for a saying like that.
0: We're speaking with Jason Murph. He's the farmer of uh, farmer. He's the founder of Grill Your Ass Off and a United States Army veteran. Now, Jason, when you think back to, you know, when you started the company, between now and then, almost everybody that we talked to who started their own company has had issues and had problems and failures along the way. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind as something that you thought was just gonna go as smooth as possible and turned out to go anything but?
3: One of my favorite things to look back at uh, that revolves perfectly around that question is my very first demo with the first four seasonings I had. Um, I'd scheduled the demo. The seasonings were taking a little bit longer uh, because I took in my flavors to a bottling company to have them bottle and manufacture them. Well, there was a miscommunication, so it took about a week longer, and I actually got the first bottles of seasonings the day before the demo, and they had shown up in an 8-ounce bottle. Well, I sell the seasonings in a 16-ounce bottle, so a 16-ounce bottle label overlaps on an 8-ounce bottle, so my labels didn't fit. Um, and this was all the day before of a demo and for no one, for people who don't know anything about the industry, typically a label, if, uh, you're not going with print plates, going to take you three to four days of manufacturing no matter what. Um, so there was a moment right there. I looked at one of my buddies whenever I got it all in, that was over at my apartment and I was just like, crap, the hell do I do? (laughs) So we ended up making a trip to, uh, office depot. Buying some Avery shipping labels uh, and an HP in, uh, ink jet, uh, jet printer, and staying up until about three in the morning, labeling bottles with shipping labels. Wow! <laughs>
1: um,
0: you got it. Hey, somebody's I mean, got to get it done, and when you're the guy running the company, it's basically all on you, right?
3: Yeah, it was. I had a uh, awesome two friends that came over. I bought them beer. We stayed up. We. Labeled the hell out of some bottles. Um, and we showed up the next day. Uh, and, you know, again, with the size difference in the bottles, I had to go through and go off of that roadmap you were just talking about and figure out what are my profit margins? How do I price this eight-ounce bottle that I wasn't prepared to do? Yeah. Uh, and that's all last minute. And we ended up going the next day, and I think we sold 308 bottles that day. Wow. I had like six bottles left over, Um, and I've kept those. Those are memory items.
1: There you
3: go. I'll have them for the rest of my life. So I have those sitting up in the office. Um, And at that point right there, uh, I was approached by someone very large in the barbecue world. They told me, pull everything off the shelf. Don't take your website down. Hide everything. Go and get everything trademarked. Because at that point, I mean, I was still brand new. And I, I didn't know that much about intellectual property. So, um, right. which is another thing with your, uh, the roadmap, the network, 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 network. That's probably my big, biggest business advice for someone thinking about getting in, being an entrepreneur network. Cause if you want to know something and you can pick up the phone and talk to someone, your life's going to be way easier.
0: Jason, when you talk about that, when you talk about getting that information, the things that you didn't know, who were you finding those things out from? Was it fellow veterans? Was it, you know, business people? Where did you go to find out all that information and what sort of, uh, what sort of places would you recommend people look for advice when they're starting their own company?
3: Um, there's a ton of great, uh, website articles out there. Um, business plans that are out there. Um, online and I, I would honestly just recommend start doing your own research online and take your time to do it. Don't treat it like you a, a high school homework to where, okay, if I get a C, I pass. Business isn't like that. So take your time, really work out, structure everything out. It's going to suck. I hate reading. Um, but you need to do that. And then start reaching out to other veteran, um uh, companies, um, people that you know who own a business uh I, i'm grateful that my father owns a business so a lot of the questions i can turn back to him but at the same time he's not in the same business industry as i am so i am grateful that sean Matson, the president of strike force energy is now become a close friend of mine so there's a lot of times that i'll pick up the phone be like hey sean this is happening." what the heck do I do? And he's like, Oh, Hey, you know, that happened to us three months ago. You need to do this right here. Or Sean will pick up the phone and say, Hey Jason, uh, what's going on with your website on this? How are you getting that to happen? I'll say, Oh, that's super easy. Just do this right here. So what it's really just networking, picking up the phone, talking to people, sending them DMS on Instagram. Um, If anyone has questions, you can shoot me over a DM on Instagram. That's typically the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's just at grill your ass off. I try and respond to everyone in a timely manner, but there's quite a few people out there. So it might take me a day or two to get back.
0: When you think about how far you've come with Grill Your Ass Off and we're speaking to the founder of that company which creates uh basically barbecue spices and a line of beef jerky that's come out fairly recently, Jason Murph, army veteran, what do you envision as the future for Grill Your Ass Off? Is this something you'd like to uh, grow into a larger company where you're hiring veterans or you know what's 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 the goal for Grill Your Ass Off?
3: Yes, that's uh I want to continue to grow it to the point where I can hire uh, more veterans, um, and be able to do more for the veteran community. Um, that's, uh, I love being able to get back, give back to the veteran community, but also there's other communities too. There's events that I've done and charities that I've helped out with, like Children's Miracle Network. Um, my nephew's been treated by Texas Children's Hospital uh, for about the past three years of his life. Um, so that's another close one that I consistently try and give back to and do events with. So, uh, this is definitely something I'm not going to turn around, sell or anything like that. I want to continue to brew, uh, grow, it to a nationwide brand. Uh, we're working on getting into quite a few more retail stores, so it'll hopefully be, you know, in a store near you someday. Um, but for sure grow and be able to help out as many veterans as possible.
0: Jason, if people are interested in finding out more about you, more about your products, uh, you already told them to contact you on Instagram if they're looking for any uh, advice or anything like that. But if people want to find out more about you and your products and everything, where do they go to do so?
3: Uh, GrillYourAssOff.com. Everything is uh, listed on there. You have all the information for all the products. Uh, there's a short story about me on there, all the social media handles are on there. As well as we do, uh, typically they come out about bi-weekly uh, recipe videos. So a bunch of ways, if you're ever curious on how to make anything, we got just about everything on there now.
0: Well, thank you to Jason Murph, the founder of Grill Your Ass Off and Army Veteran, for joining us here on The Morning Briefing. His website again, grillyourassoff.com. Jason, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
3: No problem. It's an honor to be
0: on. You've been listening to the Morning Briefing Monday edition, and that just about does it for us. We want to thank our guest today, Steph Mullen from IAVA, as well as founder of Grill Your Ass Off. You just heard from right there. You can check out iava.org. And of course, he just gave you all the good stuff for GYAO, I suppose, if we're using the acronym for them. Want to thank you so much for joining us today and want to let you know we've got another great week of shows lined up for you this week. So you're going to want to make sure you're here every Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. with replays at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time right here right now. Well, right now, not so much because we are coming to an end, but be sure to check us out. We're connectingvets.com is the website and we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. A little click of your mouse or tap on your phone will help you live your best veteran life. And hopefully we've helped you get some good information here this morning. On behalf of myself, Eric Dame and your producer, Jake Hughes, we will go ahead and see you again tomorrow on Tuesday. Have a great day.